Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 47, in which my guest will be my fellow wrestling news colleague, Mr. Mike Sempervivi. Some of you may know him as Semp. We will get to that in a moment. I also want to talk about some other stuff that Mike's been working on. Before we get to that, I want to talk about some things that I've been working on. So I'd be remiss if I did not mention the uh, 500-pound gorilla in the room uh, or the elephant in the room, whatever metaphor you prefer, the fact that I was heavily featured, heavily to my own surprise, in the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon documentary, which aired on Vice TV. It originally aired the evening of my birthday, Tuesday, December 13th, still available, I believe, on Vice's streaming platform. Uh, But, uh, you know, they talked to me for two and a half hours when I went to be interviewed at the Vice TV studios in Brooklyn. I thought maybe they'd use a few seconds. You know, I'm clearly the least well-known person that they talked to for this thing. Uh, but they wound up using so much that I, I tend to think I probably was on there more than anybody else. Uh, I was the first talking head to appear. I was the second to last. I almost had, I almost had, ladies and gentlemen, the literal last word on Vince McMahon, a poetic license, if ever there was any. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the documentary. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, for those that haven't seen it or aren't aware, it was sort of like, uh, kind of a, a catch-all covering every aspect of Vince's life and the various uh, scandals and improprieties that have followed him throughout his uh, interesting career. I do want to mention uh, something. Uh, first of all, I, I, I got a lot of positive feedback, so I guess I did something right. Even the, the people that, whether they liked or didn't like the documentary, one thing they seemed to agree on was that I did a pretty damn good job on there. So I'm proud of myself. I just tried to tell the truth in a in a rational, uh, fact-based manner. I I tried to keep it historical. I wasn't out to bury anybody. So I want to address a couple of things on there. I know that there were some comments of people that said, well, you know, there was nothing new here. This is stuff that we already knew and blah, blah, blah. You know, no no new ground broken. And, And I understand that criticism. But let me just say this about it, having taken part in it and having spoken to the producers and the directors. The, the idea behind this documentary was not to reveal all this new information that we didn't know. It, it was to collect it all into one place. It was to create a public record on all these aspects of Vince McMahon, all the things that he was involved in over the years. You also have to remember, not everybody is nuts like we are on Twitter and wrestling internet all the time following all this stuff. Most normal human beings do not know about any of this stuff. 
And so, believe it or not. And so this show was also for them. You have to remember that. I watched it myself with people who had no idea that any of this stuff went on. Uh, so it was, I feel, an important work. Also, the fact that they used a lot of Dark Side of the Ring footage, yes, that's true. There was a, So if you've watched every episode of Dark Side of the Ring, there was a lot of stuff in there you'd already seen. Also, a couple of things. Keep in mind, not everybody watched Dark Side of the Ring. The other thing is the show was put together on a very tight schedule. They started production last summer after the Vince McMahon scandals, the latest ones, really hit. So they were in a bit of a time crunch. They knew a lot of the ground had recently been covered on Dark Side. So they, yes, they used some of that footage rather than reinvent the wheel and say the same things over again that were already said. So that's the reasoning and the rationale behind the way that that was done. I thought under the circumstances of what they had to do, it was well put together. I thought I was represented well. I don't have any fear of having a, a horse's head put in my bed one night while I'm sleeping. So again, it's The Nine Lives of Vince McMahon, my talking head debut. So check it out if you haven't already. It's on the Vice TV streaming app. Also, want to mention, because it was mentioned as well on Jim Cornette's podcast, that the uh, again, a reminder that issue number 27 of Inside the Ropes is now available. It's the one that has Jim Cornette on the cover. Inside is part one of my breakdown of the classic wrestling territories featuring the map that I've been talking about so much. It's a two-page fold-out. You can actually pull it out of the magazine. It's a map of the old-school territories. Uh, that is in issue number 27, InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. You can get it in print or digital format. Now, let's get to Mike Sempervivi. We're going to get to that conversation in a second. Before we do, I want to quickly plug something that Mike has created that is really, truly a gift, especially if you're a fan of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Crockett Promotions, whatever you want to call it. As some of you may know, in addition to Wrestling Observer Radio, uh, Mike also hosts the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast. Now, on the Patreon for that podcast, for Mid-Atlantic Podcast, he has released this incredible long-form article. I know it's incredible because I've read it myself. He let me look at it before it got posted. It is a thing of beauty. If the history of Crockett Promotions, especially the tag team wrestling in Crockett Promotions, is of interest to you, you need to seek this article out. You can find it. It is for uh, paying patrons, subscribers to the Mid-Atlantic Podcast on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash Mid-Atlantic Podcast, and it will be right there. It's called Grit and Glory, the evolution of tag team wrestling in, in Jim Crockett promotions and how the road to Greensboro got paved. It is a wonderful article that, that really digs deep into the history of tag team wrestling in the Carolinas. So I urge you to check it out. But right now, I urge you to check out the interview that I did with Mike, which I am going to take you to right now. Okay, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, this is somebody that I work with every single day. And um, even when I'm tired, even when I don't want to do it, and I'd much rather be spending time with my family... I am working with this man every day, and yet we have never shared the air together, even though he does a lot of shows, I do a lot of shows. He's um, 
He is the voice of the wrestling news, also the producer behind the scenes, truth be told. He puts the whole thing together. But you, if you listen to the wrestling news, which you should be, then you hear him every morning. He also does a little show I've heard of called Wrestling Observer uh, Live, which uh, in which he is the beleaguered co-host, along with Brian Alvarez, struggling to get a word in edgewise on a daily basis. And he hosts one of my favorite podcasts, which I hope comes back, the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. We'll talk about that. I'm talking about Mike Sempervivi. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, sir, for having me on. The reason that it's been a long time coming is because you have now exhausted all of the other interesting <laughs> options that you could have for your show. And now you're relegated to pulling somebody <laughs> off the bench. If you only knew how much truth there was to this. No, that's not. It's really not. It's really not. I mean, my my initial murderous row, I kind of got out of the way in the early weeks. But but I have a lot. I have people in my back pocket. And then actually, the best part is I'm I'm coming up on 50 episodes now. And I'm actually looking forward to getting to the point where I start repeating some guests. I haven't done that yet at all because. You know, I just want to try and get as many new people as I can. But eventually, there are some people that are so great that I have to have them again. It's just too good to to just leave. To like, I had RJ City on here, and I really thought I started thinking in my head we should just do it every week together if he's available. <laughs> I don't even want to just make him just a a, a guest. You know, he's he's one of those guys. I just got YouTube TV switched over from Xfinity and as you watch the fight network a lot of times during their commercial breaks during New Japan or during one of their 9500 showings of impact of course because they own that they will put RJ on cutting you know not cutting a promo but you know telling a story or giving some advice or that sort of thing and they are they are great to listen to and you know it's a you know I, I'm always for somebody that wanted to get into professional wrestling, and I'm sure nobody gets into it to be, you know, at the bottom of the card, everybody pictures themselves at a WrestleMania. And this is, this is what I'm going to do one day. And it doesn't work out for everybody, but he's great proof of what you can do off of the professional wrestling business. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have used it as a stepping stone to other things, but there are people like RJ city who actually really love wrestling, want to stay kind of involved in it. And, could still do stand up or could do a lot of other things probably besides professional wrestling, but he's able to use that as a stepping stone and still stay close to it. So that's always awesome. It's like I, I told him, and there's no way to say this without it sounding like an insult, but I say he's too good for wrestling. He's just too good for wrestling. <laughs> it, it, it's like the line in Piano Man, you know, like, what are you doing here? You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> but but no, but he's great. And um, he'll be he'll definitely be back on the show. But let's talk about you. Um, I, I have to, of course. It's probably what you're least known for, but I don't care because it's an old school wrestling podcast and it's my show. But the Mid-Atlantic podcast that you do, which also, by the way, is an Arcadian Vanguard show. So I'm guessing there's a lot of people that are listening to this that probably listen to that. How did that come about? Because I'm, I'm not sure where you are from in the country, but did you grow up with Mid-Atlantic or did it just like was it something that you took an interest in later? We had moved, my family moved to the Washington, D.C. area in 1982. And one of my, I mean, talk about being touched by wrestling way too early. One of my earliest memories of being in Chicago, 
you know, at the age of five in kindergarten or before was kind of we had these double doors at the end of the steps as you came downstairs that separated the living room and kind of, you know, went around to the kitchen and into the back. And I remember wrestling being on, like looking through the doors and my father was watching wrestling. My father, who grew up outside of New York in the 50s and 60s, was a wrestling fan and Obviously, growing up in New York in the 50s and 60s, he didn't depart there till the 70s. One of his favorite wrestlers was Bruno Sammartino. And as I found out later on, Jimmy Valiant, there were a lot of other people that I remember watching wrestling with him later on, or he would pop in when I was watching wrestling, and he would recognize people and say it. And as I look back in history, because unfortunately my dad died in 1988 when I was only 12. So I never got a chance to really ask him about a lot of that sort of stuff. He would take me to wrestling, but as far as like what he watched and all that, but looking back now, he watched probably a lot of Chicago wrestling and a lot of the bruisers wrestling in the AWA when we were there. And he lived there. My family lived there from 1970 three or four, I believe it was, to 1982. So when we moved to Washington, it was, we were living right outside DC, but we got both sets of Baltimore and Washington TV channels. And there was obviously the WWF controlled territory. So that's what was on. But then that's when I started reading wrestling magazines and some kids grow up with comic books or, you know, this or that. After highlights, if anybody really <laughs> remembers that, it was Sports Illustrated and it was wrestling magazines for me. And that's when I first saw Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, who became like my holy trinity <laughs> of guys that I would follow in the magazines and be invested in. And then in 1984, I believe it was late 84, Gary Juster got there was a public tv station in fairfax virginia channel 56 wnvt that ended up morphing into the megahertz channel mhz channel over time and but basically at the time it was a public television station that was not part of the corporation for public broadcasting mm -hmm. so they would really be publicly funded and if there was enough money coming in that they could acquire the rights to something to show it that's what they did and during the day it was a lot of nasa satellite stuff or it was like a news ticker that would go over and over again but then basically it got its fame in the 80s because there were games in the NCAA tournament that were not shown on CBS at the time. I guess they were only shown on ESPN. If anybody had cable at that time, we didn't, unfortunately. But yeah. because they would get donors in, they bought these, these guys who ran the station would get the rights to say George Washington against Duquesne in the first round of the NCAA tournament and would put it on TV. And during commercial breaks, they would just cut back to these two guys sitting in a director's chair talking <laughs> until the commercials were over and they threw it back. Long story short, Gary Juster got Georgia Championship Wrestling on there and ended up getting NWA Wrestling on Channel 56. And as a couple years rolled on, he was able to get it on other stations, got it into Baltimore, which made it easier to, to watch. But as soon as... That started airing. That was it for me. Hmm. Other than Mid-South Wrestling, 
Jim Crockett promotions was everything to me because at the time, especially when you watch the WWF, even into 85, it was a darker production. It was a lot of basically just squash matches. The interviews to me were never as lively as what were taking place in other places. So that just became my favorite promotion in the entire world. And you know this, surely, <laughs> being stuck in wrestling. When you're stuck doing one job, as much as I like doing Wrestling Observer Live, it is what it is. And I was kind of going crazy. I wanted to do something else to clear my mind. I wanted to do something where I could forget about modern wrestling and all of the hullabaloo and conjecture and fighting that goes along with that. And I just wanted to turn back the clock and really do something that had related to mid-Atlantic wrestling. And Brian and Mike Mills were doing the Mid-South podcast. And I thought, you know, something like that might be a good idea. So I talked to Brian and we kind of just fleshed out, you know, basically kind of following the same type of formula, going week by week with adding context to the stuff that was going on. So people that just watched the network because it really bothered me, and I don't know why it bothered me because I'm a geek. That's why it bothered me. But <laughs> when the last battle of Atlanta went up on the WWE network. I remember, yep. All of us uh, geeks and everybody that was looking at that for the Holy Grail and it was one of the Holy Grails, we got it. And <laughs> unfortunately... It was put up with no context. There was, I think, one article that was put up on the website. But really, other than that, there was no context. So people watched it and was like, what's the big deal? That So what? Well, there was the whole lead up that went to that. And there were these things that came out of it with Jake Roberts and all, all of that stuff. And it was lost. So that was one of the things I wanted to do with the Mid-Atlantic show was actually, as we're going through this TV, if anybody is watching it, Okay, here's your cliff notes that goes along with that that can tell you some of the things that were taking place as to what was happening. And with only Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling up on the on the WWE Network, you know, you miss worldwide. You miss all these other things that were taking place, especially throughout the country at that time territorially, where it added some context to what was going on. So that was really the goal, was to basically just try to... Because as I also, and I'm sorry, I'm babbling here, but when I look at... No, it's all right. You have to make up for what you go through with Alvarez. So <laughs> I'll let you, you know, this is why I'm letting you go. Go for it. <laughs> Dave Chappell and Dick Bourne do a wonderful job on the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. I love that site. It's one of my favorite it sites is. in the whole wide world. It is really great. Yes. And I, you know, Les Thatcher, still very lucky to have Les Thatcher walking this earth and not only walking the earth, talking about wrestling. And a lot of times he'll talk about on his show on the F4W site things that took place, like getting burned by the infernos uh, that led into the in Christmas and all these other things. And it's like, we're starting to slowly lose these guys, you know, yeah. Dusty going and this person going. And I look at a lot of the older people that really care about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Dick Bourne, uh, Dave Chappell, Peggy Lathan, you know, until she passed away. She was one of the biggest supporters of the show and was one of the biggest fans of the show. With her going, you lose, look how many stories you lose. Look how many stories you lose regionally because she went to all of those shows in areas that we don't really talk about. Yeah, we talk about Charlotte and Greensboro. That's easy to do. But what about Asheville, Spartanburg, South Carolina? These places that were in a territory but run differently, had different matches, had different people booking different towns locally and things like that. And I don't want to see 
that lost the time. And I know I'm not going to get rich off of it. You know, no historian goes into anything thinking they're going to make money, or at least they shouldn't. I just want to try to do what I can, my little bit of work for something that gave so much to me. I want to make sure that people know who Ole and Gene Anderson are, or Chief Osley Burt Sanook, or some of these people that, again, if they weren't talked about, if they're not kept up with, they are truly going to be lost to time. And I just, I, I hate that thought. So that was the backbone of the Mid-Atlantic podcast and, and trying to, again, just keep the history alive and keep it updated so that people down the line can at least, again, grab a hold of it and have some understanding of what was truly taking place at the time. Yeah, I I have that same view with a lot of the historical stuff. Like, I mean, as you know, that happened when I was working on the Sheik book, uh, where this realization of, oh my God, almost everybody's gone. And you know, if if only I'd, I'd tried this book twenty years ago, it would have been a totally different experience. And there, you're talking about a, a territory that really died when when I was you know in kindergarten. So there, it's not like I have any real memory of it it's in a completely different part of the country but but you do get a sense of like this these stories are dependent so much on people surviving and word of mouth and oral traditions and things and you know i'm aware of that with a lot of things like i'm i'm very much into kind of you know old school hollywood entertainment and and i'll i'll go down these rabbit holes of of learning about vaudeville and all these other things but the difference is that with wrestling, you know, with all that stuff, with mainstream entertainment, even though even things that are out of living memory, let's say, they've been very well chronicled because, you know, they were very mainstream. And wrestling is not the case with that. It's not something that was ever very well chronicled until, you know, recent years, maybe even just the 21st century. And so you've got like... um the reason why, as a historian, when you try to research, let's say, like, oh, what was going on in the 30s and 40s, it's like you might as well be trying to understand, you know, what was happening in like ancient Babylonia and, and part with a lot of it. And, and some of it, you just throw your hands up and even the best historians throw their hands up and go, we don't know. We'll never know. We don't know what was happening in 1911 with Gotch and Hackenschmidt. Was it a work? Was it a shoot? What were they thinking going in? No clue. We can just kind of infer based on things. And unfortunately, even modern wrestling, any kind of wrestling, you run the risk of having that happen. Now, it's different today because you've got mass media and everything. You know, so many things are being recorded and filmed. But look, we live in a bubble. And as, as heartbreaking as it is, there's going to come a time 50, 60 years from now where the average wrestling fan has no idea who Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are, have never even heard those names. That will happen. So it's important to preserve this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, and I, I'm a reader, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of a lost art now. So I yes. always love books. And, you know, there are so many great books that have been written and, and that people just they haven't seen and let alone taken any of the knowledge out of it. And one fact checked it in some cases, obviously, you know, <laughs> in other cases, but just to even have some of these things. And that's why I'm 
amazed by people like Al Getz, who are now looking at history in a different way and actually coming up with a formula. I mean, the formula that he came up with, the spot chart and all that, I mean, I think it's great. And I'm glad that somebody's putting a new spin. I don't have that kind of mathematical mind, you know, but I'm glad somebody is doing something to kind of put a new spin on history and kind of keep it going and get a better understanding and trying to filter a better understanding on how wrestlers were in a particular territory. He does tireless work going to libraries and he's blessed to be able to go to places and really dig in to microfish and, and, yeah. and all of that. And, and, and to be able to pull things and it's just, and to not only do that, but then to also, you know, double check it as well too. It's one thing to just pull information out and call yourself a historian. It's another thing to actually be a historian, disseminate that information, you know, break it apart, figure it out and then give it to people, you know? So I, anybody that's doing their work, you know, Jim Zordani, the, the claw master, I still use that results page constantly. And I know it's not perfect, but where else am I going to go back and see results from 1933 and Jim Crockett promotions, you know, when they first kicked off. Right. Thank God. And if, you know, he passed away, say that site wasn't kept up and say whoever had the domain, let it lapse. Then what? You know, you know, if the, the kayfabe memories, which is a memory for a lot of people, uh, they probably may have never heard of it, but Arcadian Vanguard owns that now. Brian Last was able to purchase that. And I'm happy he was able to because there are tons of stories on there, right. you know, from, you know, because I was not into message boards. I was not into a lot of that in the, I just wasn't, I didn't have a computer for the longest time. I was a little bit older, you know, starting my life and all that stuff. So all of this stuff that was taking place in like the wrestling classics message board or this message board or that, I didn't see it, but I, I mean, did see wrestling as you liked it. And I did see kayfabe memories with portals to these stories and people writing stories and trying to keep history alive. And I just, you know, that stuff's important. The Wrestling Classics message board, you know, I was on, I mean, I'm still on there, but I was active on there. And I mean, there was a time with the, with that message board where you had Luthez on the board, just answering people's questions and, and you could pick his brain. I actually got in touch with him. Thanks to that board. I was able to get like a personally autographed copy of Hooker, his biography. And I maintained kind of a little correspondence with him. I mean, you know, it's uh, that's over now almost 25 years ago. And it's crazy to think how much changes over time. I was thinking too about something you said before about the connection with your dad. Cause I'm thinking, you know, it sounds like your dad was like a, a dyed in the wool wrestling fan, like someone who watched it for a long time with, with my dad, um, my dad who was born in the forties, grew up in the fifties. He, um, he was a fan as a kid. So it was, but, but then he kind of stopped. And so it's interesting to get stories from him. Like when I got into wrestling in the eighties, he would start, you know, rattling off names. Oh yeah. I used to watch that when I was a kid and I would have to like piece together what he was talking about. Cause the memories would be so fuzzy. Like I figured out that he, that he used to watch Bedlam from Boston, which was the old Paul Bowser show, wow. which was already off the air by like 1960. And he was watching that. And I think he was watching early capital. Like he'll talk about Buddy Rogers, um, Bobby Davis. He would like to bring up the man. You know, he remembered him, the Graham brothers, um, Wild Red Berry, like, like these names, Gorilla Monsoon. These names would pop up. Johnny Valentine, he remembered, you know, 
just but that he hadn't even thought about since he was maybe like 15 years old. And and I gained kind of an awareness from talking to him. My my grandfather was in boxing, so he would cross paths occasionally with wrestling people. So he had like some awareness of it. And my my uncle, I've talked about it on the show here. I had an uncle who was in theater and this was priceless to me. This really shaped the way I look at wrestling for good or bad. My uncle was a performer. He was an actor, singer. He was in musical theater, comedy and on stage. And he loved wrestling as a performance like he would watch it he never believed he he understood because he was in show business like he would laugh but not laugh in a derisive way but like laugh in an appreciative way at some of the more histrionic performative things like he loved baron mikhail cicluna because he was just so ridiculous how he would try to hide the foreign object from the referee put it behind his back behind his head you know he loved Randy Savage. He couldn't get enough of Randy Savage promos. You know, this is like a 50 something year old, like musical theater guy. And he's laughing <laughs> and loving it. I remember him being blown away when Rick Martell, like he would, he would get into these heel turns because he would turn to me and he would go, you know, this guy never used to act like that. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Rick Martell's walking around with that He's got that expression on his face now. He looks like he's smelling shit everywhere he goes. <laughs> like that's the way he described it. But the like the Rick the model Martell heel turn, like things that he would that he would get into. I remember he stopped watching around the attitude era. It was just too much for him. You know, he was an older guy. He was like 70 by then. And I think what did it for him was when Pat Patterson did the stink face on somebody. Do you remember that? Pat Patterson? Yes. And he had the he had the skid marks on his yeah. underwear. And my uncle my, now my uncle had been watching WWF wrestling since the 60s, right? And 70s and all that. And he remembered Pat Patterson, you know, and he's like, that's Pat Patterson. I've been watching him for, for 20, 30 years. And they're having him sitting on a guy's face in his underwear I, you know i can't watch this anymore and it was right around the time that i started working there so i was like no you have to keep watching because now i'm working there but he was done he was he was checked out that's like that clip of bob hoskins who's like you know <laughs> being explained to him you know who's playing super mario and it's right. like jesus i used to play king lear <laughs> that's right that's right and, and that i think is so much fun too because those are lost perspectives I mean, it's not really related to wrestling but like some of these actors from the older generation they don't have the reverence and high regard for these sometimes kind of silly things <laughs> that adult people are obsessed with today so it's like you know when 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 bob hoskins did that movie that guy probably wouldn't even be able to spell nintendo let alone having ever played <laughs> a nintendo you know he's like what the hell are you talking about it's like when you read about uh, the making of the Richard Donner Superman, the original Superman movie, how, how many people they had to convince and beg and plead to allow them to make a movie about Superman because everybody just thought, well, comic books are ridiculous and for kids. And this is going to be like that Batman TV show. And what are you trying to do here? And, 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 and nowadays, you know, comic books are like Holy scripture to, yeah. to, to even people in their forties, fifties, sixties. And, and it's just a changing of the guard, you know, in terms of like what's considered important. But but those but but to tie it back to what we're talking about, like those are the 
perspectives that are so valuable, the ones that are on the verge of dying out. Those are the ones that need to be preserved uh, the most because, uh, you know, the perspectives from a different, from certain time periods, once they're gone, they're gone. You know, I was, I was lucky to have been raised by people of a very early generation. Like my, you know, my parents were baby boomers, but I was, I had very, I was very strongly influenced by my grandparents, my aunts and uncles who had grown up, you know, in the thirties and forties. And my thinking to this day, my my attitudes, my views of the world are shaped a lot by having been raised by people like that, whose attitudes and views are very often gone because everyone's dead. Who who, who held them? You know. Yeah, and that's and unfortunately, you know, and with wrestling too, like you mentioned. It's history was not held with great reverence, you know, right. for by the people inside of it for the most part. You know, there was always a a cornet or a Pfeffer being a great example who was more of a pack rat than anything, but he unintentionally uh, you know, ended up being very important for the history of wrestling with his papers and all that stuff that got sent to Notre Dame. And it's just now we see it. Now it'll be a little bit easier to document, obviously, because of the amount of media as well, too, and the amount of people covering it uh, and have an interest, a hardcore interest in wrestling that a lot of, you know, from WCW 90, you know, the, from the 90s on, everything is pretty much, there's going to be no problem, you know, getting people's perspectives on and getting people's ideas on and things like that. And hopefully as time goes on, too, obviously, you know, that doesn't slip away, but everything before that, Unfortunately, I hate to keep right. coming back to it, but we lose people and we're losing people. Ole Anderson's still around right now. Now, granted, Ole is not going to talk to you about, you know, <laughs> your modern wrestling. Everybody knows how Ole is, but thank God he was still around to be able to write a book. Thank God we had the assassin for so long and he wrote his book. And just a lot of these people that were so influential. One of the things I'll always ask Les Thatcher about, I'll always bring up like Garibaldi because right. unfortunately, like Les Thatcher and Kevin Sullivan are the only ones who can talk about like Leo Garibaldi's booking and, and things like that. I mean, as far as like that perspective, you know, things that were going on during the all South war, you know, again, it's just, it's sad that we, we lose those people. And that's, it's very important to me. And that's one of the reasons I like being here at Arcadian Vanguard is, you know, take Jim shows out of it. And granted you get the history on there, but once you take Jim show out of it, every other show on this site in its own way is chronicling history and is trying to keep history alive. And I had hoped for that at F4W and wrestling observer. When I, I was there since the very beginning of Brian going online before the merger with Dave and before getting everything together. And I, I, I really believed, even though I hadn't, it's not like I was told this or anything. I kind of built it up into my mind where, you know, who with the wrestling observer newsletter, hall of fame, with the amount of things that Dave has written that, I thought that was going to become a hub of history. It's almost like the it's almost like the polar opposite, you know, except for certain times of the year like the Hall of Fame, you know, and, and times like that it's really not. So to have places that this is what they do, this is what's important to them, you know, and this is what again, you see it on the walls, you know, if that's, you know, I'm happy that that I'm here to be able to be again, who talks to authors. And I know we've talked about this before, 
off the air where who talks to authors? Who's talking to Scott Teal? Who's talking to you about your book? You know, uh, there are a handful of people that do, but for the most part, there aren't. So the, the ones that do need to be amplified when that happens, because again, there's, I, I've learned about John Cosper's books through Arcadian Vanguard shows. I, you know, I learned about the, uh, the program books, the St. Louis, the pointers when they got advanced copies of that. And I got those and I'm incredibly happy that I did, you know, for the amount of history that's in. And it's like, all of these guys, you know, all the effort you put into writing that book, all the information, all the time you spent, everything that we are discovering from that book. Same thing with Tim Hornbaker's Buddy Rogers book. That's another great example. You know, the NWA book kind of got, you know, did get the attention, but Capital Revolution was good. It's just there are these guys who are putting in this incredible work and time. They need to be amplified. They need to be recognized, and their work needs to be, you know, supported and you know have a light shined on it. So, you know, that's that's again, it, that's the way I, I view this stuff. Well, that that's even what drew me to the six hundred five Super Podcasts, which is how I, you know, first came into this orbit. And I told Brian this, you know, one of the first conversations we had was that how unique his show was, you know, a a magazine style show basically on wrestling history is kind of the the best way to describe it. And on top of that, doing like the height of vintage Howard Stern level radio humor, like when he was actually funny combined with all of that. And I mean that, that too, you can't, I mean, just like, legitimately truly not just wrestling funny but like actually funny, funny. to the Laugh point of funny. <laughs> right where are they finding these like i knew i knew about howard baum he's for example because of just his photography and i'd used his photography in in books and stuff but i had no idea that howard baum was one of the funniest human beings walking the earth and was like the rich little of wrestling like i I didn't know any of that until Brian show. It's Scott Cornish who is brilliant, and I, told I almost him, drove off the road. I still the Morocco impression. Yes, about just was <laughs> a, a shit at the end of a rainbow. Wipe my ass with a handful of butterflies. Like it just, <laughs> you know, it, and the impressions. It just it's it was hilarious. It's so hilarious. Yeah, Scott's another one. Yeah, I, uh, Scott is another person who I told him to his face when I finally met him at, at the International Wrestling Hall of Fame. I said, you are too good for wrestling. Same thing I told RJ City. You're too funny and talented for just wrestling. You, you know, he's just a, a true humorist. But I mean, all that stuff combined, it's a very unique thing. And I know, you know, the 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 Cornette show and the two Cornette shows actually are very time consuming, obviously. And uh, But I hope, and I know a lot of fans hope that the 605 can make a, a, a triumphant return as a regular part of our lives, not to put any pressure on Brian, but, but <laughs> what a pleasure that show always was. And I, and I discovered it years later so that I had the benefit of being able to like marathon episodes of it because <laughs> I had, you know, you know, I, I was years behind. I Same mean, here. when he had, I forget his name. This is one of the things that inspired me to do this show. When he had the guy who worked on Lords of the Rings videotape with London Publishing, I forget his name. And I was just like, where did they 
Where did he find yes. this guy? What a story. Because that tape, again, was like a life-changing experience for me, finding that tape, you know? Well, for me, it was always like the back. You remember the, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated articles or the, the commercial where the, it's the kid and he's sitting at his desk and he's looking up and there's the giant color pullouts <laughs> of like, and all that. And it like the Remco figures on the desk, like, that was kind of me. So like, I would always see those videotapes. We never got them. I didn't see them until years later, but I can remember them. You know, I remember him being in there, Willie in the hand jive and the advertisements, you know, for them. But like, I was always like, that's one of those stupid little things that I'll think about randomly one day and go, man, I wonder how that came to be and, and how that happened and who was involved in that. And then there it is. Like, you know, names mm -hmm. like Brian Ducantis that I, I've seen, you know, I saw, you know, in wherever it was, Wrestling News or wherever, it was like, huh, that's an... And then Brian interviews him, and it's like, whoa, you know, George Shire, guys just... Yes. That is so cool to me, and be able to go back, and he's talking about AWA TV and how it came about, and the behind the scenes about, you know, taping it, just everything. And I just think, again, those dumb little stories... Those little things, those really, again, they interest the hell out of me because this stuff that I saw when I was a kid, how did it actually come to be? How did this idea happen where we're going to sell these VHS tapes and get people involved and then people that don't want to be involved in this and that? I just, it's great. He had one of the Culkins on there once talking about like the Mississippi promotions, you know, that basically, I guess, got swallowed up by Mid-South. But I mean, like, those are the kind of things that are, so important, you know, there that was I learned through there and I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, I no. learned through there. I didn't know until I don't think it was until that show about Grizzly Smith, you know, tanking the booking purposely. And then, you know, the Culkin breakaway all, from McGurk, the Culkin breakaway from McGurk. And then I think it was during that same show where it was, you know, sending a Watts, basically sending Grizzly in to, to kill the booking and all that sort of stuff like that. I had never heard that for as much as I knew about wrestling. I didn't know about that. And that type of little homespun local palace intrigue, you know, that stuff yeah. interests me. That's why Cornette, when he talks about for any of the pros and cons that anybody wants to say about Jim Cornette, I mean, his history knowledge about just pulling things out of his rear end. You hear it during the shows with Brian when he's doing the programs and he gets so incredibly close to the city and the year or actually nails the city in the year and can just bring up something about the red terror or the green shadow or this person or that person. It's just, it's fascinating. Yes. I mean, Jim, I will say, and also having, having gone through the fire of, of being on the air with Jim and, and, and you know, knowing him, meeting him a few times through WWE, I'm sure, which he has no memory of, but I mean, having some, he, he is, he, he's got such a keen mind and I don't think it can be overstated that his just almost savant level mind when it comes to not just knowledge and history and semantic knowledge, but even just the interpretation, the analysis the level of intelligence um, is is amazing, and and I'll I say that without apology. Just a valuable, such a valuable person to have. But too, I want to say this before I forget, because in talking about the history and and stuff that gets lost when people aren't around anymore, and specifically as it pertains to Mid Atlantic, one thing that 
is depressing to me is, and maybe you come across this too, because, you know, especially if you read the Mid-Atlantic Gateway site and all that, is that because of living memory and people going away and things that even now, the people who remember Mid-Atlantic and Crockett and get nostalgic about it and talk about it, 99% of those people are really only talking about like the Starcade era, the mid eighties horseman era. And if, which is great, it's really, but if you want to talk about, you know, Rip Hawk and Swede Hansen or Johnny Weaver and, 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 you know, and George Becker, or the Becker brothers and this kind of thing, then even those people will look at you, you know, and have no idea what you're talking about because that's before their time, you know, and as a historian, I get interested in stuff like that. Like what, what was what was you know Jim Crockett Senior doing? Like what was happening back then? I wrote a column for PWI when we just did our tag team issue, and I tried to make it a tag team themed column, and I chose to write about Rip Hawk and Sweet Hansen because I see them as a team that they're a classic example of a team that in their time anybody would have recognized them as being yeah this is one of the most important tag teams there ever was like they basically invented the modern tag team wrestling match yeah. and now it's like who who are these guys you know yeah. most people would have no clue even if you know some teams from that era that's not a team you're generally going to know and people should know you know the young bucks the steiners there's going to be a lot of teams that will be in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame before Oli and Gene Anderson. Does that make uh, sense to you? Are Oli and, wait, are Oli and Gene Anderson not in? Not in. The Assassins Oli, Oli. took heaven and earth to move the Assassins into the Hall of Fame. They got a push at the end. Oli and Gene fell off the ballot. They were not put back on the ballot. Oli was on there this year in 2022, I believe, for the last time. So if he doesn't hit a certain level, he's going to be off the ballot. It's insanity to me. Absolutely insanity to me. I'm the biggest Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood fan in the world. I am. But, <laughs> you know, when you look at Hawk and Hanson, when you look at Becker and Weaver, when you mm -hmm. look at those teams, they're the most important teams in that area. And there is going to be something coming on the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast soon that I will actually send you a little bit of a, uh, of a preview of, because I'd love for you to see it, that is going to talk about how we got to Steamboat and Youngblood. And it's going to talk about a lot of those teams, because look at what George Becker, for any of his negatives, and this is unfortunately what has happened over time. And you brought up Luthez in the Wrestling Classics board. Who universally has Luthez left out of history? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Jim Londos. Yes. Uh, Enrique oh, yes. Torres, one of his regular opponents, said if he would just bring his name up, he would be included. He would already be in the Hall of Fame. He would already be included in these types of conversations. But Ole Anderson, Ole and Dave didn't get along. Ole didn't really get along with anybody. <laughs> That's fine, but when you look at his history, well, he he killed Georgia. If I'm not mistaken, everybody's territory died. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if you're going to then eliminate him from the conversation, you eliminate when Jim Crockett Promotions was red hot because there are, in my mind, 
of modern Jim Crockett promotions of modern mid-Atlantic championship wrestling from the Eastern States change to mid-Atlantic and using that as branding. When George Scott came in, there was the George Scott era. There was, you know, with, with there was the Ole Anderson era that you can tie in with George Scott if you want to. Then there was the Dory Funk era after Ole went back down to Georgia. And then there was the Dusty era. You know, there was... Right clicks to get to where you got to and how you built things up. That's why people will explain Paul Jones and Jimmy Valiant to me. <laughs> well, you know, listen to the show and I'll be able to explain this to you as far as Valiant starting this off with Humperdinck and then it got transferred to Jones and it goes on like that stuff's important into being able to tell the story. And again, to loop, you know, loop it back to only public perception, you know, really is, Unfortunately, just what somebody's idea of something is doesn't make it the fact. And Chris Benoit got into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame long before Eddie Guerrero. And I'm not, this is not a debate on Chris Benoit being in, but it amazed me that it's like two peas in a pod. You ask, okay, in my mind, who actually drew money? You look at what Eddie and our bar did in Mexico, and it's like, is the work that much off? And, you know, yes, Eddie had his issues and everything. And like, nobody voted for Eddie. Then he dies. You get all this stuff written about him. That's in, you know, obviously a positive light and it was tragic and everybody loved Eddie and everything. But then all of a sudden he's in the hall of fame. I'll, I'll get on my, Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. You know, and it's just like Bearcat Wright was like that for the longest time as well, too. And it's like, this should not this shouldn't be this way. There's got to be a better way to do this and to, again, try to bring other voices in. So it's not just, well, Oli was a failure. Oli was a prick. Oli was that. No, Oli was incredibly successful. Look at the money that he drew as a wrestler. Look at the money he drew as a booker. Look at what he was able to do with his own life, you know, off of wrestling. It just, when you include all that sort of stuff, it just, it baffles me that he's not in and that's, it's troubling, but we're going to see, we're going to see very soon when this wrestling observer newsletter ballot is released. If Rocca and Perez, depending on how many votes they get, that's going to be a direct referendum on how much historical knowledge is left out there. Because if a hundred percent of the people don't vote for them, then it's like, well, a hundred percent of your, your, you know, the people that are voting on this, I question how much perspective they really have. Right. I mean, they were the road warriors of the 50s. In fact, they were probably even bigger in their own time than the road warriors were, which is which is wild to think of. But but again, that's the the ravages of time um, with the the um, the problem you run into when you're going back past a certain point in time, like pre, I don't know, mid 80s is video i mean that can't be overstated like you can't you know it's sort of like with baseball there's a certain point where you just have to study numbers you can't watch honus wagner playing baseball well, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't see rogers I mean, hornsby and napoleon lajaway you might maybe there's little people will be like wait a minute there's stuff on youtube okay great but there's very little even of Ty Cobb and things like that, you know, before the era of forget even just television or even just like movie newsreels and things. And even a movie newsreel, you're going to see like two minutes of a game. So you have to go by just numbers. And that is the problem you run into 
With wrestling, it's kind of inescapable unless it's in your living memory and you say, oh, yes, I was a wrestling fan in the 60s and 70s. I remember those guys. You have to go by looking at results, looking at championship histories and things and looking at whatever anecdotal evidence survives and stories people tell. You can't say, you know, if I'm a if I'm a 17 year old kid today. And somebody tells me, oh, my God, man, the Road Warriors, you got to know about the Road Warriors. I can go, okay, and look up the Road Warriors and go, holy cow, you're right. The Road Warriors were amazing. This is fantastic. I get it. I understand now the aura and everything. You can't do that if you say, you know, George Becker and Johnny Weaver were the most dominant tag team, right, in the Crockett promotion (laughs) in the 60s. Go and find out, 17-year-old kid. That kid really has no way of finding that out, even if he wants to. He'd have to be like an expert historian even to find the textual evidence. And, you know, they're not going to have the attention span for that. So that is the brick wall that you're up against. And that's why I think it's important. You don't have to stump Yes, you do. Actually, that's that's a lie because, you know, I, I was I've written things about like say Enrique Torres or somebody that I felt strongly about. And I know there are people that will do that, but like if there's somebody, anybody out there listening, if you do have an observer hall of fame vote, because I know it's expanded a lot. That's the only thing I know of people ask me, how do I become a voter? All that sort of stuff. I look, I don't know. I was writing a lot of history stuff. I would correspond with Dave. I had showed a massive interest in history, you know, for a long time. And I, you know, over time and obviously working there probably helped too. I ended up getting a vote, but like, if you have somebody you feel strong about, because the assassins, I would write things about the Andersons. I would write things about if there's somebody out there that has a vote and you have a voice, use it because otherwise there is not going to be the person. Again, if you don't do it, if you don't explain why you believe, say, Ole and Gene Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame or Steamboat and Youngblood or Rocka and Perez or any of the teams that are on there, like, you know, nobody else is going to do it for you. So if there is somebody, you do have to amplify your voice. You do have to try to put things out in places where people will read them and hear them, even if you don't think anybody is. I think you do need to, if you have a vote, and there are more people ever that right now have a vote, it's expanded out an incredible amount. And if there is somebody out there listening who has a vote, use your voice to amplify somebody that you believe belongs in the Hall of Fame. If you are big on people from the past and you look at June Byers not being in as a sin, or you look at this person or that person, you need to try to put it out there where people will see it. Even if you don't think people are going to see it or hear it, do a podcast, do a article, try to get it posted up somewhere. There's somebody that's going to be able to post it up for you. Come up with your own blog site and post it up and then, you know, try to put it on Twitter or Hive or Facebook or wherever you can to try to boost some, you know, eyeballs onto it. Because if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it for you. And those people are going to get lost to time or, you know, fall off. And, and, and unfortunately, they won't get the do that you believe that they they should. So you have to use your voice for that. When I was, st- I've stumped for the Andersons. I've stumped for Enrique Torres. I've stumped for the assassins over the years. You know, then then they finally got in. Thank God they did, <laughs> you know, from my <laughs> point of view, because it's like it would be baffling to not have that the same way it will be baffling to not have the Andersons in. But, you know, again, if you if somebody doesn't do it, 
it's going to be, and it's going to be more difficult too, as time goes on, because we get to see Japan a lot. Now we get to see, you know, there's more eyeballs and people with an understanding of Mexican wrestling than right. ever where, and granted they're separate categories and things, but like you only have so many people you can choose from. So when you start getting names like, you know, Shingo Takagi, who, you know, Tomohiro Ishii, you start getting the Shimas in and you, that starts to go against your totals that you may be voting for somebody else. And as time goes on, just more and more names are going to start filling up the ballot. And unfortunately it pushes again, Ivan Koloff taking forever to get in. Thank God he was able to get in, but it took forever to do it. But thank, thankfully, because people kept talking it up, unfortunately there's a death bump too. And I hate that because, you know, it shouldn't take somebody dying for people to go, oh, and, and yeah. have interest in them. And that, because that always drives me nuts too. You know, you don't have to give everybody every flower before they pass away, but, you know, a nice little LTD cup with uh, some daffodils would be nice. Well, that's why I never, when I vote, I always make it a point. First of all, I never vote for anybody that's active. I just don't. And I know not everybody takes that approach. That's my personal approach. The reason I do it is because. I go by, I triage it by era. So like if you're somebody from an earlier time period that's not in and you deserve to be in, that takes precedence over people from later time periods to me. So I usually wind up seeing so many people that are worthy, that are, you know, names that are gone or retired or not in the business, that that usually takes up my whole ballot because there's just even, even breaking it down from early historical to like modern era historical, then you're still looking at people from the eighties and nineties, let's say. And so I I'm not, I I don't people like Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega and CM Punk and that, that yes, they're all going to get my vote, but they're going to get my vote in like 15 years from now. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to, I, I'm busy trying to get Sergeant Slaughter in, uh, who uh, is my uh, annual uh, uh, personal cause and head scratcher, yeah. Sergeant Slaughter, uh, or, you know, the Junkyard Dog, or, um, you know, more recently, the Steiner Brothers, um, or even like, you mentioned June yeah, Byers. June Byers is someone I vote for every year. I vote for Sputnik Monroe. I mean, you know, um, the, until all those people are in, then I'm not going to vote for somebody from the 21st century because yeah. some of those wrongs uh, need to be righted. People falling off the ballot. Look, you can talk about the 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 person versus the legacy. The fact that the fabulous Moolah fell off the ballot is unthinkable to me. She's like, you know, the personification of women's wrestling in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And she's not even on the ballot anymore. Um, look, as a Northeast guy, I know I'm biased. I know this was his whole career and legacy, but Gorilla Monsoon, for the love of God, falling off the ballot, how does that happen? I mean, it's, uh, you know, un again, unthinkable to me, but, you know, what can you do? Well, look, Captain Lou Albano. It took a long time. I think he died before he ended up getting in. Paul Heyman was on with Brian and Dave and did a show. And I think that ended up helping more than anything, getting him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, it just and it's again, it goes back to that history thing and having the perspective, because like, say, a Gorilla Monsoon, there's a lot of people who probably have a vote that all they know about Gorilla Monsoon is mm -hmm. at, at best 
Yes, he was an announcer, and at best, they might know that he gave Muhammad Ali an airplane spin, but do they know that he helped start Capital Sports? Do they know what he did behind the scenes with the WWF, any of that sort of stuff? And unfortunately, the answer is no, <laughs> you know, unless you go and you do the research for it. But again, like you've mentioned, even if you do the research for it, you know, who's done the research? You know, hopefully right. it is accessible for somebody to find if it is out there for people to see. And, you know, the the J. Michael Kenyans and, and people like that from the past, thankfully, a lot of their stuff is up there. Uh, I know I wish, you know, and I don't. Again, I don't make it into message boards, and it's not at this point, it's not because I don't want to. It's just because time-wise, it's tough like Steve Yoey. And I probably just, I know I butchered his last name, but he's an example of a guy that I wish had a more of an outlet because, yeah, he's maybe very too rigid on, or some people think that he's really rigid on, you know, his thoughts on who should be in a Hall of Fame and what, you know, makes a Hall of Famer, but like, Look at his history knowledge and look what he's, you know, again, when he does write something out, it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, accept everything as chapter and verse as to why this person was great. But like, he's been one of the only guys to push for Torres. And when, you know, coming up with record books and doing things like that, it like, you know, again, I wish he had more of a voice to get that stuff out there so people could find it a lot easier as opposed to him like posting in the F4W board, which is, you know, it might as well be on Reddit. Right. And well, you know, that is that's a whole other issue because people who that, you know, this is a technology issue. <laughs> people who who have the knowledge, a lot of cases are older people. And the fact of life is, as you get older, <laughs> you, you often get less of a command of technology. Look, and I don't I don't make that a crime because when people try to say to me, oh, well, this guy's got to do this or get with the times. And I go, look, listen. 30, 40 years from now, let's see how you're doing with <laughs> the latest, you know, technology, how you're keeping up with the cranial microchips and whatever the frig they'll have going on, holograms or whatever's happening. Let's see how you're doing in 2060. Yeah. Then you can come back and complain to me about the fact that this this 75, 80-year-old, you know, person is having trouble keeping up. So, you know. That, but that is another. See, I think the the solution to that problem is because again, I've done this show with people who are not, you know, savvy with Zoom or whatever the case may be. Is when you have people, younger people, right, who do have that knowledge and and who are more comfortable. Those people need to be helping out the older people who have the knowledge but don't necessarily have all the the know-how to get it out there. That's where the generations need to come together, you know? But that's, you know, it's the cycle of life. You know, there's a lot of comeuppance for wrestling fans that are just the biggest D-bags in the world right now. And and, and again, when I, you couldn't tell me nothing, probably between the ages of 16 and now, but really like between the ages of like, you know, 15 and 25, where you think, you know, everything, you don't know shit at some point. Yeah. Some of the things that you believe in and, and all that stuff. Yeah. They're going to, you know, keep you going through life, but you also learn a lot too. And, you know, when you hit 35 and 45 and it's like, you know, I try to talk and it's, you know, it's, I'm sure you probably know dealing with PWI and dealing with people online. And I know you're not on it as much as I am, but it's like, 
try to have a rational conversation with somebody about, you know, a younger person about AEW who's an AEW diehard or a WWE, you know, stand up for WWE type. And it's like, well, the only thing I can kind of do is shrug my shoulders at this point. I tried. And at some point, either you're going to, you know, in my mind, <laughs> say, stay ignorant, but, you know, sooner or later, it'll turn on you. <laughs> you know, some yes. of the same things and some of the same ways that you're acting. I mean, life's a loop. You know, everything is going to come back around again. It may not come back in the same exact form that you dished it out, but it's going to come back and get you at some point down the line. So there's always an education process. When I like, I was not online really before I started with the Parasu Power Hour podcast in, you know, not regularly at least till I started doing that in 2000 and what would that have been? Three, four, whenever it was, you know, there weren't even podcasts yet, you know, right. but we were here we were and I would see things. And if you gave me a hall of fame vote then as compared to now with my perspective and how I view it and things like that, I mean, it's just time, you know, the, the, the there's no, you know, better education than time. It's just, unfortunately at some point time runs out. So you hope to not only acquire that knowledge, but be able to give it out, you know, before it's too late. Right. And, you know, from my perspective, what colors it for me and what sometimes frustrates me is the whole way that I was able to do what I've done is through curiosity, intellectual curiosity, historical curiosity. I was not alive to see Rip Hawk and Sweet Hansen wrestle. I never saw the Sheik in person. Okay. When, when, as I said, when big time wrestling folded, I was in the first grade and living in New York. So, I found out about things because it was interesting to me. Wrestling magazines, the early internet, newsletters, phone hotlines. Somebody needs to do an oral history on those one day. And I've loved the fact that whenever it gets brought up on the 605, I die because those are all shows that I that I called in on. You know, Mad Al and who was the other one? The guy who's he's still doing it now. The guy that does all the birthdays and stuff. I called that number. Dominic Valente. Dominic Valente. Right. Oh, I know because I remember like Black because we used to get the uh, and that was an I loved newspapers and there was a smoke shop when I was living outside D.C. when I was real little that that was the spot my dad would go in and they had papers from all around the country. It was the thing with all the magazines inside of it and all that sort of stuff. So I really love that place but and i forgot where i was going with that now so <laughs> well well no but it, it's the idea of of expanding your mind like i grew yeah. up on late 80s like wwf wrestling that's what got me into wrestling and for the first few years of being a fan that's all i knew about that's that was really it and as i got a little older high school college i started seeing oh my god there's a lot more to this and it got me hooked and interested on the history, on other promotions, on the bigger picture. I don't expect that of everyone, that everyone's going to do that. But it colors my view when I confront people that just have absolutely no interest in learning anything. And maybe that's just post-traumatic stress from being a high school teacher. <laughs> well, it's just, you know. Which I is think... your daily struggle as a high school teacher is people who believe in their youth and exuberance that if they don't know about a thing, then that means it's not worth knowing about, because if it was worth knowing about, they'd know about it. Know and about it, it already. Yeah. It's hard to crack that shell. Well, it's like, I'll see, and this is a small thing, but I'll see all-star championship wrestling cards. Somebody will post up that are as Jim Crockett promotions. It's like, 
no. <laughs> Carol Hall. Nobody knows this guy. Carol W. Hall has got a blog that will explain a lot of this to you because when George Becker was forced out and he was gone, he started up opposition. So all those cards that you're attributing, that was a completely different promotion. That was an outlaw to Jim Crow. And it's like things like, and then it's just like, well, yeah, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is. <laughs> It's a big deal. And, uh, For me, it's a big deal because, like, I don't know, truth and facts actually matter to me. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. I came from that generation. And I'd be willing to bet that you've lost years on your life, probably in the effort to explain to people the difference between Crockett Promotions and the NWA. That's another one. That's another one too. Which, which like, I know. blame. I blame Jim Crockett Jr. for that because I believe that he encouraged that confusion. I think he wanted that brand confusion uh, at a certain point because it it helped him fight the WWF to have those three letters. That's my view on it. And there's so many things about like Jim Crockett Sr. and Jr. that don't get talked about. You know, the Southern Wrestling Alliance that was put together with Cowboy Luttrell. In Tampa, and Jim Crockett Sr. was named the president of that. That kind of went on in operation within the NWA when that was taking place. Jim Crockett working opposition to Vince along with Rocca in New York, right. you know, or at least attempting to. Like, yeah, things, they, they ran know, the Sunnyside Gardens in Queens, yeah, right, right across the river. And stuff like that was important because, again, and, and there was. Again, shots being fired back and forth and this, you know, being, you know, this TV being tweaked or whatever it would be, you know, with, you know, typical promotional games from back in the day being played, you know, against each other. And it's just, and again, to maybe, obviously it's, it fascinates me from a historical point of view, but it also, as far as a, again, a fact keeping point of view, again, those stories are important and those little factoids and things like that, they're very important to tell the entire story. So you know, it's just, again, uh, hopefully, you know, guys like Rock Rims, and I I'm, I don't know if he's done with his books and things like that, but I'm always happy to see him when they're, you know, he re-releases them and, and republishes them because stuff like that's important. You know, how important was Roy Shire? Because, again, you know, you look at, you know, the tree off of Roy Shire, you know, of, of your Grams and your Wattses and it just how all those things happened and how they affected things later on down the line. And I've always been like that with sports as well, too, you know, with coaching trees and things like that. And that's where my father was a big sports fan, a huge sports fan. And he played football. He amateur wrestled. And that was one of the things, too, that he did early on in the game to me. And I, I don't I think it was for two reasons. One, because he wanted me to go to college and actually, you know, he died when I was 12 in yeah. 1988. So, you know, he would say when we would go to the Baltimore arena at the time, the civic center, and then later on became the arena where we go to the cap center, a lot, he, he would be watch the fans when somebody would do something. And it was like, so like, and it came from an early age of like, this is a performance. I don't want you to go home and kill your brother. I don't right. want you to stop playing football. I don't want you to believe that you're amateur, you know, amateur wrestling. But like, you know, hey, he explained it. You know, what do football players do after college that don't want a desk job? You know, this offers them that. Same thing with amateur wrestlers. You know, where do they go unless they're coaching? Well, they they go to, you know, they can go to this. But he also made sure to point out, you know, that there was, you know, this is a show and watch how people and I don't know, maybe that's what got my interest in psychology and sociology as well, too. But like, 
you know, watch these people react to what's taking place in there. And, you know, over time, it's like, that's the most important thing is how are people responding to whatever is happening in the ring? Because you can do a zillion things. And if everybody's sitting on their hands or looking the other way or doing whatever it is they're doing, is it working? (laughs) You know, was it great? You know, so I I don't know. Right. That's why I never, like I said before, I never lost sight of the entertainment performance showmanship aspect of wrestling because that's even how i got into it but at the same time i think you can do both like one of my favorite things always as a kid and as a fan was to suspend disbelief and to play along with it you know i'm not i you know i I like getting lost in the moment and being able to believe something or, or or even temporarily like they always used to say the old story, and it's hard to quantify these things. And I know we're running out of time, but this is you know something I hear so much, and I can verify it. Is you'd go to shows back then, and I don't care what anybody says. In in about a third of that audience, I would say believed what they were watching was real. Number one, about I would say about a third of it, I was there. <laughs> and, and and the other thing is for the rest of them, for the other two thirds, in the moment except for like a handful of smarty pants. But in the moment, they 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 believed they were caught up in the moment, loving it, believing in the reality of it. And then once they left and went home that night and were laying in bed and looking at the ceiling, they realized what they were watching was a show. They knew that, but they were willing to go along, play along and have fun with it. And so I think you could do both because sometimes when I come on here and say, Oh, I always was into wrestling as a performance. People think I'm knocking it or that I'm saying that, you know, I just loved stupid bullshit and I don't like serious, you know, wrestling angles and things. And nothing could be further from the truth. I I think it's possible to do both as an intelligent human being to, to, to watch wrestling, not believe that it's a legitimate competition because you have two eyes, right? But also to be able to invest yourself emotionally at the same time. Why not? Well, and that's, you know, we, again, my father, big boxing fan. So I grew up a huge boxing fan, you know, massive boxing fan growing up. And it was like, it's the, the concept is the same for almost, it goes, it goes back to the beginning of man. You have two people. What are they there for? You know, why are they going at each other? It's either for money, for sport or for a personal issue. You know what I mean? Right. And Again, growing up, it's like that, that all of this makes sense. And sometimes it's not about the sport. It's not about the money. It's about the fight or it's about this. And I think, you know, anybody that says they're fools, you know, you may not like certain aspects or you think somebody took, may have taken something too far, but there's a reason that the gorgeous Georges and the buddy Rogers and the Rick and the evolutions of these guys came along is because. If it was just two guys for two hours and, you know, people were betting on it, what's entertaining about that? Right. You know, I, so it's like you can't, yes. you can never, ever, ever separate the entertainment value and the gaga or the haha out of pro wrestling. You know, one of the books, the Amarillo book that Scott Teal put out, you know, there's, I, I'm not sure, it wasn't Dutch Mantel, but there was, I forget who it was that wrestled the broom. This is like 1913. <laughs> so you know, oh, yeah. it was so serious back. Time out. <laughs> you well, know, I, uh, different type of haha and gaga, more for that situation. But you can't say it doesn't exist. As a twelve-year-old kid, the first time that I saw somebody do an arm ringer 
and the guy's shoulder did not pop out of the socket, I knew, you know, I'm 12 years old, you know, but it didn't make me not enjoy it, you know, but that's, yeah, th- this is a favorite topic of mine, which we can go on forever with, but um, I've taken up far too much of your time as it is. And <laughs> I know that we both have wrestling news stuff to get to. So because <laughs> I'm going to be that, you know, uh, as soon as I get off here, I'll be, I'll be jumping into the script and writing all the words that you will so skillfully be saying tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's the thing is you gave me way too much credit on that show, considering you take the bullet for watching a lot of stuff and staying up late and writing it up. And it's like, you know, Jace will go through proof some. I'll add some stuff in the morning and all that stuff. And but I'm just talking, you know, you do a lot of the work there. So don't discount what you're doing over there. But of course, nobody does more work than our our fearless leader. The great Brian Last, of course, because that's I'm required to say that. <laughs> is is that the in the fine print? No, but it but, is. <laughs> but it, you know, but there, there's truth to that because it's great that we Absolutely. all have this incredible platform, and he is just a tireless workhorse to the point of making everyone else look really bad. And so, well, that, my, and that's my, why. <laughs> oh God, I love being it because it's like, as you can probably tell, I get obsessive compulsive about some things that I like a lot. And so like to find other people, especially somebody like him with that work ethic, that you, when you, being able to balance it with family and all that stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, we all have to do to have the historical knowledge, to be a fan of radio to be a fan of sport, to be a baseball. Again, that's the other thing too, about the Arcadian Vanguard there. And I'm not a very bright guy, but I see a lot of like historical, you know, knowledge uh, of certain sports, sports in general, baseball specifically, you know, radio, there's a lot of things that kind of tie a lot of the people in this community together, whether they be hosts or guests on the show, or just people that are listening who have, Again, those same interests that actually break across all of the shows. And it's it's awesome to be a part of that. And we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for Brian. So, you know, again, my hat's off to him for starting all this stuff, you know, funding a lot of this stuff. Because, again, too, somebody's got to spend money to keep these sites up and to do a lot of this stuff. And he's doing what he needs to do in his eyes to keep things going and, and in the vision that he wants it. And I'm glad to be a part of it. There you go. Now we've got all of our required praise and admiration. (laughs) (laughs) We are required by the bylaws of Arcadian Vanguard to to do this. If not, Lou Kippelman, the voice of Lou, will come in right now and do it for us. Right. (laughs) He's our voice of God. I love listening to I love listening to Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam because Lou will just insert himself on occasion you'll completely forget that he's there and now and then he'll just pop in and go oh by the way gentlemen that is uh not quite accurate oh wow lou is there you know <laughs> he scared the shit out of me one time so i worked overnights for years because look i was trying to figure out a way when you have no college education mm. and you're living in a resort area you can have all the the great unless you can talk yourself into a position sometimes if you want to you know have off between basically two and six o'clock every day where everybody else is functioning and doing things. It's hard to get a job. So I started working overnights to be able to do wrestling observer live. Once that became a seven day week at the time gig in the afternoon. So I was doing overnights forever. And 
just like you, there were 605s I would go back and listen to and I would have shows on. There was a technical glitch on a McAdam show one time that I'm just kind of doing some stuff and it's dark and the the I was working overnight, uh, working night audit at a hotel and I'm just doing stuff in the kitchen and it just all of a sudden the thing disappeared and Lou just appeared in the headset over something got screwed up and he played that sound and his voice came up and it was like, Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you know, (laughs) well, I've been on John's show and you know, they do it all live. Their production is all live. So Lou is like there on the headset in California live while John who on the East coast, I believe it, you know, so it's all happening right then and there so that that's how they do their thing but boy we got in all the arcadian vanguard shows here this is great anybody we're leaving out breaking Barry, Barry, obviously Barry Barry Rose, Barry. who else you to talk about florida with than those guys so right. I, I think is that everybody i think they will be future guests for sure on here <laughs> um yeah oh wow more than i was you know? no this was are you kidding me this was great i almost felt like <laughs> let's just keep it going i'll turn it into a two-parter but no, but I do. Uh, but uh, l- legitimately, I am doing wrestling news related stuff. I'm actually trying to get Kevin McElvaney on the phone in a few minutes to get a quote from him on the PWI tag team rankings and the Usos getting, you know, of course, the, the Twitter cause of the moment is the Usos getting ranked above FTR, which I fir- not only firmly stand by, but I'm the one who championed it. So I will take the, the fall on that. But but I'm trying to get a quote from him on that as well. When this show comes out, retweet what you tweeted out last night about why they are. Yes. You know, and again, people have to realize there is kayfabe that is a heavy part of this number one. And number two, again, your tweet pretty much takes care of it as to the reasons as to why. FTR, I like watching FTR with the exception of maybe the Briscoes. And even at this point, it's probably FTR. Watch the Briscoes for so long. FTR is probably number one on my list. Mine too. When you really look at it, are they the number one team in their own promotion? How much no. have they wrestled? Where have they wrestled? Yes, the matches they've had have been fabulous. If anybody saw the Aussie Open match or anybody saw the other United Empire match against Khan and, o- and Cobb, O'Conn and Cobb, excellent. Two peas in the same pod, you know, two com- different matches, but kind of the same because of FTR. They're great. But the I- Usos, if you're looking at this from Pro Wrestling Illustrated's point of view, they're clear number one. They're on TV every week. They are as stars. I know Jim doesn't like the fact that the they play kind of a secondary role. We differ in that way as far as how I view that group and how it got together and what the point of it was. You know, basically to be Roman Reigns' guys. I don't think they lose anything being that being the tag team champions. And the bottom line is they've held those belts for what is it now? We're pushing 550 days or whatever it is. Like there's every reason that they can be put at the top of those ratings and not feel bad about it. And any, and again, this is where it's changed too. And I won't drag on too long with this, but like coming up in the eighties, like my, if somebody thought Hulk Hogan was better than Ric Flair, whatever, you know what I'm saying? If somebody thought Bob Backlund was better than Harley race. Okay. Whatever. Like we would jaw about it and whatnot. But like we would still watch wrestling. We may play out what happens on there or make fun of George Steele, somebody really like them. And then you'd get made fun of because you like Jimmy Valiant or whoever. It's like, okay. But it wasn't this like, it's got to be this way. This is what it is. And F you what you don't like. And this is everything that's wrong with your. Well, that's with everything now. 
right about a lot of wrestling. You know what I'm right. saying? So, and that's where the attitude has changed. And again, am I partially responsible for that? Because I was a teenager and a kid in the nineties, <laughs> probably. And, and, you know, I was 18 in 94, you know, I remember that whole MTV generation, ECW, the attitude era, all that sort of stuff that, not long after that, it didn't take long for me to be done with it. You know, I remember watching the HLA thing and I'm watching it in front of my girlfriend and we're watching that. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to take a break for a month. And I was writing for the pro wrestling torch at the time reviewing, uh, TNA. And then Wade Keller started this thing called the lounge where he just picked his people that were reviewing the shows and said, Hey, you know, do you want to write an article? So we started doing that. And it was like, I think I need to stop watching because that was a little too much for me. And I'm looking over and it's like, okay, I've changed, (laughs) you know, I've obviously changed and do I want to continue on with this? And I took a break for a month watching WWF TV to kind of get my mind. Like, is this something I want to go back to watching? I never thought about giving up on wrestling, but like, like a lot of us, I got enough VHS tapes. I got enough from the past that I'll be satisfied for the rest of my life. But like, you know, that was like enough to give me a little bit of pause and a little bit of perspective. And then I obviously, you know, obviously kept back, you know, got back to watching it again and everything, but it's like, that really stood out. And it's like a lot of that mean spiritedness, a lot of the attitude, a lot of the, that turned into, it's a different people complain about, but it's a different form now with these anonymous names. Mm. That you can't even get your your pound of flesh back on because they're an invisible person, maybe even a bot out in the ether. And it's like trying to just discourse has changed so dramatically. And it's just, there's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be a comeuppance and there's going to be a change. And at some point, everything ebbs and flows. I just hope that it kind of ebbs soon because it's tough to talk to people about anything related to modern wrestling without this battle flag posted. I remember I went to the full gear show in Baltimore and it's like, it was so interesting. And I talked about observer live. It's like, there were people just standing while matches were going on in front of other people. Like they were at a concert. Yes. Like this was a festival style concert. And it's like, and I said something about that and I got lashed for that. And it's like, there are people complaining behind you. Like this isn't, Festival had, but it's like that's what kids do now and it's right. like or and like it just so it's you know you have to i try i be i try to be as progressive as possible in literally every you know facet of my life because you can't look you can't run from what's coming you know you can't keep trying to take things back into the past or some things that i wish would have stayed the same in wrestling that have now changed so if i'm going to do what i do for a living i've got to progress along with it i don't have to like it but I have to kind of progress along with it and to try to talk to people about things of, you know, this is this because of this and there's no other hearing of it. It's like, ah, you know, hopefully, again, that changes and the discourse changes because we need, again, we need a lot of that in every aspect, not just wrestling. Right. And that, as I said, that's the problem across the board. I mean, wrestling is the least manifestation of it in our society. It's with anything with politics. You know, I I think now there was a reason why our our grandparents always told us that it wasn't polite to talk about religion and politics in public. And I think now we've all learned that lesson of why we didn't need to know what everybody thought about everything. Nobody learned their lesson. No, it was much nicer. It was nicer when you didn't know what everyone thought about everything. And the same goes for wrestling too. I was there 
working there at the time of HLA. So you don't have to tell me. I was in board meetings where you had people suggesting that we should lean into it and maybe we should do like a whole magazine or a videotape or something of HLA. I, when I worked there, I stopped watching other than work after Katie Vick. I stopped watching as a fan. I was like, this um, doesn't, uh, this is not my wrestling. This, I don't know what this is. This is, this is just not for me in capital letters, not for me. And I watched it for work and I didn't get back to it for years after that. So I definitely know your pain and all that. And I get where you're coming from for sure. Um, Mike, this has been incredible. I could just keep going. I don't even know where to stop. I don't know where to drop the pin or stop or take the needle off the record, but well, you better do it now because yeah. there is nothing that I don't want to talk about because I love <laughs> this so much. I love being able to talk to you. That's why I love being when I have a chance to be on the 605. And it's one of the reasons I do so many shows because as much as it drives me nuts, as much as sometimes I don't want to watch things, you know, it's given me a lot. It's always been there for me. All the traumas. I've had a lot of not good things as a lot of people <laughs> in their life. You know, and it's a lot of it started with my my father passing away and just how things went. But there was always there was always wrestling to fall back into. And if nothing else, you know, I was able to block a lot of things out and just go get the wrestling magazines for those God knows how many hours wrestling would be on because, I mean, I lived in an area with syndicated TV, again, with the two sets of stations from Baltimore and Washington. We got hours upon hours upon hours of TV, more than is actually on the air now. A lot of people, oh, there's too much wrestling on TV right now. We had 12-hour blocks. <laughs> you know, it just happened because you were able to get all these stations in, and it just, you know, I loved being into it, and... Wrestling will never love me in the same way that I love it. And I think, you know, that's a lot of people, you know, especially people, they get into it, you know, they really end up finding that kind of stuff out, but you know, I'll still always love it. I'll still always really enjoy it. I'll still get a kick out of it. Even if I'm not liking what's taking place right now, I always have things that I can go back to. So for me to be able to give back a little bit to it and then carve out a very, very poor paying job, but at least one that I really enjoy doing across doing uh, Wrestling Observer Live, doing the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare, covering the Japanese scene. We were the first ones, I believe, to do that on a regular basis after the Parasu Power Hour, which was a lot about, you know, K1 and Pride that was big at the time, too. You know, that show, doing the Mid-Atlantic show, doing... Uh, the, the wrestling news now, I mean, this is the thing that I like doing the most because again, how I grew up, I'm, we're all very Northeastern, Some, sorry, Jason Lou, but we're all <laughs> Northeastern guys. We've all had the headphones and listening to WTOP or WFAN top of the hour sports, WCBS wins top of the hour news. And I've always loved that sort of thing. So to be able to do that for wrestling and make it something that people have enjoyed because it isn't a bunch of nonsense. It's just what they need to hear to either get them to work, to school, or to the podcast that then goes in at length, whether it be Wrestling Observer Live or Voices of Wrestling or whoever it is that it, post-wrestling that is covering that show that night and talking about where storylines are going to go, all this, all that, to be able to get those people to those shows you know, how can I really complain? You know, I, I can bitch and moan like everybody else can, but uh, sometimes too, I got to look in the mirror and go, uh, shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know, and be happy that you're able to do this because Carl Stern, who I really like a lot, the, the, 
uh, when it was cool podcast and a historian, a, a true legitimate wrestling historian. I believe the state of Georgia actually authorized him as one when the WCW, uh, 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 racism stuff was going on with Sonny Ono and Hardbody Harrison and all those guys. He was actually brought on to be an official uh, historian. But like, you know, guys like that, you know, it's great because <laughs> this is going to sound terrible for some of the wrestlers out there. But just like he said, I think I've made more money off the wrestling business and some people who have wrestled for a long time in independent wrestling. Mm. And for that, I count my blessings <laughs> on where I'm at and what I mean. And again, to be able to give back a little bit too, you know, a lot of people only know me for wrestling observer live. So for people to be able to actually hear me talk about history and know that, you know, I really love this thing. It's not just about getting YouTube clips or Twitter follows or any of that nonsense by saying some sort of BS hot take and actually trying to give back the best that I can. You know, and people recognizing that. I mean, what can I really complain about? Yep. And it's a blessing. Honestly, uh, I feel the same way. It's a blessing to be able to do what you love and something you enjoy and 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 and, and to be paid to do it on top of it. And like I talked to, you know, Kevin as well, who's the editor of PWI, you know, to be able to work a full time job in an office every day in wrestling media. I mean, uh, there's. Not many people on this planet that could say they do that. So, you know, I count it a blessing to be able to do stuff I love and, and um, you know, stuff that I genuinely take an interest in and pleasure in. So we definitely share that in common. Um, yeah, this has been great. And this has been part of it. Now. I promise I'll shut up and let you do an outro now. No, no. But, <laughs> but this has been this has been part of, of the reason why that I am blessed that I get on a weekly basis to do conversations like this. I mean, this is what I envision this show being. So so I thank you for being a part of the first ever 90 minute episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. Thank you. <laughs> this has been Absolutely. great. My pleasure. <laughs> hey, you have me back anytime, especially when you got two or three extra hours to fill. Yeah, we well, no, you will be back for sure, believe me. Once I get into that territory of repeating guests that I keep talking about on here but it hasn't happened yet, you will be one of those people for sure. Maybe we'll do like a round table. We'll get like all the Arcadian Vanguard people. Maybe we could do something like that. Uh, see, that's that. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you actually said that because Blast is going to hear this now and go, "The hell you are! We're going to get a 605 <laughs> out there with all of us doing it." <laughs> right? You know, and I, that's true. He'll probably want to do it like as a as like opening day Star Wars or something like that, or the New Year's episode, and we could all do that. But it'll happen. It'll happen. That'd be fun. I've been I've been on those, and you've been on those, but I don't think we've ever been on them together at the same time. Not together. And I I will say this: I I believe that baseball which is a sport that's been very, very good to a lot of people. Baseball. I'll just say that. I'll just say baseball. <laughs> just keep baseball in your minds uh, when it comes to uh, to me and Arcadian Vanguard. Just do that for us. All right. Will do. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. This has been a true pleasure and a true honor. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Take care. There you have it, folks. My conversation with my colleague, Mike Sempervivi. I hope you enjoyed that. A little extra time given to that one this week. Uh, we just had so much to talk about, and we just couldn't shut up, so I hope you didn't mind. I thought that was a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure, always. And, and I really count myself blessed doing this podcast because it's a pleasure to be able to talk to people like Mike 
who really know their wrestling history and to really be able to get into it. So this is a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. I'm going to keep doing it with more great guests in the weeks to come who also enjoy talking about wrestling history. That's our topic here. So for next week, one that I have been promising for a long time now, and he's going to be my guest on next week's episode, I'm talking about the Dean of Wrestling Reporters, Writers, Photographers, Bill Apter, Mr. Bill Apter, wrestling magazine legend himself, will be my guest on next week's Shut Up and Wrestle. Other fine guests in the weeks to come that I've been mentioning, the Midwest independent wrestler Attila Khan, a lot of great stories from him about working with some of the legends of wrestling. Uh, got another former WWE colleague from the Creative Services Department, a man who had a lot of executive power in the company uh, from an artistic creative standpoint. Lots of great stories. His time there goes back to the early 90s. His name is Mike Foley. No, not Mick Foley. We'll be talking about that confusion but Mike Foley, and he'll be coming in the weeks to come here on Shut Up and Wrestle. Also, we've got the big 50th episode on the way. I will have more details on that as they become available. That'll be happening in mid-January. So keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. Keep following the show. And where can you follow the show? Of course, I'm glad you asked. We have our website, suawpod.com. You can also find Shut Up and Wrestle wherever you find your favorite podcasts talking about Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you will find it. I also encourage you to join the conversation on Facebook, the Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon Facebook page. All the cool kids are there, so I hope you will join us. I also hope that if you haven't already, you'll be listening to the wrestling news every morning because I am proud to be a part of this team, putting this work together every day, your one-stop shop for daily wrestling news in audio form. That's thewrestlingnews.com. My book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, is still available, print, digital, and audio form. You can get it on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. If you're feeling lucky, you you could even go to a, a physical Barnes & Noble location. See if they have it there. The magazines that I write for, I already mentioned at the top of the show, of course, Inside the Ropes magazine. Go to InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. For Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you can go to PWI-Online.com. And there is also my other podcast, the PWI Podcast which I co-host with Al Castle of PWI. Seek that out as well. If you are seeking me out on social media, I can be found at Brian R. Solomon on Twitter and Instagram. That's Brian R. Solomon. On Facebook, you can find my author page at Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website out on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you to do unto the man as the man would do unto you. But do it first. 
So long, wrestling fans. <laughs>